You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host. And today, our focus is going to be on the automotive industry and looking at what it takes to get in and to thrive. And to talk about that, we actually have the perfect guest to tell you the ins and outs and how he did it. His story is actually very interesting. And his name is Jared Carver, the owner of Winner's Circle Automotive Group. Welcome, Jared. Hey, Sonia. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, you have a really um, interesting journey, uh, not only in terms of how you've been able to really master the game in the automotive business, uh, but particularly since, you know, automotive wasn't your, it wasn't your first choice. It wasn't an interest. It was, from what I understand, something that you kind of fell into and, and were able to really take it and, and run with it. How did you how did you gain interest or even how was it even attractive to you to uh, to start? Well, I love cars. So, the, the you know, the immediate attraction is my infatuation with with cars. And um, that infatuation started very young. But um, I worked in the jewelry business after high school and my, some of my clients were in automotive sales. Some of them were in management. And they had incredibly high incomes, well, at least to me at that time. And my goal as a as a hardworking sales professional was to, you know, have a really high income. And these guys seemed to be really excited about what they were doing. So um, after investigation, I, I decided to make the transition from um, being a gemologist, which I still am today, um, to, to automotive um, to the automotive industry. Okay. And you did that because of the, you said there was a the downturn in the industry, the Great Recession around 2007, 2008 is what made you rethink where you were? Absolutely. So the recession was a huge part of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of things to consider when I wanted to make the transition from working in the jewelry business. And at the time I was a very young guy. So although the, the economy was starting to, 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 to shake a little with the recession, I still didn't have as much. It still didn't have as much of an impact on me, um, being a really young guy with with uh, marginal expenses. Um, but it, it, you know, definitely shed some light on, you know, opportunities. A lot of big positions started to consolidate. A lot of big companies were were more flexible in in, in terms of hiring young professionals um, and giving us an opportunity. So the the reflection definitely helped out with my transition. And I would also say it helped out with my progress as well. So, so that the, the listeners today will actually get a sense of uh, how successful you have been in, I want to give them a, a good sense of where you are right now, and then we can talk about your journey. You currently have three franchises and a used car supercenter, um, which is based off of like a, like a the Costco model. Um, tell the audience what you did last year in sales and where you're projected for the end of, of 2021. 
So last year we bought the Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram store February and between February, well, mid-February is when we settled on the store. Um, so between February and December, we finished with just over $50 million in sales, uh, which was a really good start for us last year, considering the pandemic first started. And there were a whole lot of uh, concerns with just everything, specifically people wanting to come out and shop for cars. And this year we're projected to do, you know, somewhere around $120 million in sales. And so what would you say in terms of your skill set, what you understand about the business that has made you, has allowed you to do a $50 million increase in revenue in just a year during a pandemic, during all of this economic crisis? What is it that you say to your skill set as a business person that has allowed you to grow so rapidly, even in trying times? Well, in my, you know, in my, in my most conceited way, I'd like to steal a credit for uh, making such a huge leap. But part of that big, um, part of the big increase was we purchased a Nissan store in January. And this has been a phenomenal add to our, to our automotive group. So that's been, you know, 30 to 40% of the growth. And at our Jeep store, we, you know, we just, I think we fine tune processes. I mean, when you first start a business, there are things that you learn that maybe you're, you're not so smart about that you get smarter about. And I think we've been smarter about a, about a lot of things in 2021 that we were not so smart about in 2020. You know, tell us about some of those things. What what have you learned in a year that have has made you, as you say, smarter about some of the decisions you've made, business decisions? A big investment we've made is in our culture. I think our culture, you know, considering that we're, we're a fairly young company in terms of my age and, um, and, and how old I am. So, you know, we invest in our culture. Our team has the free ability to give ideas and, and, and suggestions and feedback. And some of those ideas have translated to some wonderful uh, changes that we've made. We've also invested into some better, you know, some better ways to advertise. Social media has been a huge platform for us. So, you know, understanding our audience now that we've been in business going, you know, year two, as opposed to just starting out, we fine-tuned our efforts to strategically advertise to those customers, um, you know, coming off of last year's data. Those are a couple things. That's a couple things that we're doing. And I also think that the, the market's opened back up a little better. I mean, last year, I think the pandemic kind of shook the world up. And although it continues to still shake the world up, I, I think that we're, you know, we're a little more optimistic this year as opposed to last year. You were telling me probably less than 1% is actually African-American or Black-owned. There's no problem about that. Um, there's definitely less than 1%. Um, African-American-owned car dealerships in the country. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 a, it's an awful number um, because our business is a very great business for, you know, for people to be a part of. And I think what you're doing is great by, you know, bringing some, some exposure um, to some of the great things. But the automotive business is, has created wealth for families for, you know, since our country has been around. I mean, you know, early 1900s is when, you know, the first dealerships, you know, came, you know, came about and some of those dealerships are still around, <laughs> you know, 2020, 2021, I'm sorry, 2021. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a business that we, we need more minorities in. And I also think that it's, it's a business that we need a lot more African-American ownership. What do you think have been some of the barriers for, for entry? Like, what is it that's preventing um, more African-Americans or more people of color to, to look at this as an opportunity to make to make money? 
I think that question is a very difficult question to answer one way. I would I would say exposure is is one of the huge barriers. You know, we need the information. We need to know. We need to know. Hey, this is what it takes in order to become a dealer. This is what it takes in order to partner with the franchise from a financial standpoint, from a resource standpoint. You know, resume all of the the, the criteria necessary. And I think from there, we also need to understand what the benefits are. And what I mean by understand the benefits is we need to see more people like myself and other um, African-American dealers that have had success and, and, you know, can show, hey, we've done these things and this is what it's done for us and our families. And I think it will inspire, you know, more young professionals to give the automotive business a chance. And in turn, I think we'll be able to groom and get more um, diversity and and the the dealer ownership body. So let's hear a little bit more about your journey, because it, again, it wasn't something you sought out to do. Um, you were introduced to it. What was ground zero for you in terms of entering into this business? I think for starters, and full disclosure, I'm a very competitive guy. I'm extremely competitive. When I got into the car business, my first interview was with uh, general manager, and he told me that he made seven figures as a general manager. And at that time, I, I was coming off my best year, and I made sixty thousand dollars in the jewelry business. So, you know, when I sat across from, you know, from this gentleman, he told me he made a million dollars. I think that was, I think, right then and there, I decided I wanted to go very far in the car business because, you know, for guys like me to come from poverty-stricken environments, outside of being an entertainer or, you know a basketball player or athlete of some sort. There's not a whole lot of seven, eight figure plus industries for us to look forward to. And um, not to insult myself, but my jump shot wasn't all that great. I tried singing, but I never did really good at that. So, you know, sales and the automotive business fit right into my idea of, of a career that could have changed my life. And so far it has. So for someone who's interested in saying, you know what, I, I think this is something you know, I'd, I'd like to do. Um, we have a, a number of different types of people who may be listening to the show. So there, so there obviously can be some folks who, you know, have the money to be able to, you know, go out and buy a dealership and hire all the right management. But for someone like you who worked their way up um, in the business, what would you suggest someone start or how would, how should someone start if they were interested? Um, I think that the, the best place to start is working for a good car company, some, you know, a, a dealer group that's had success, work for a franchise that you like to drive, that you're a fan of, that you're passionate about, and take it from there. There's no one way to get to my position, you know, my position. So in a car dealership, there's there's really four main departments. There's accounting, there's parts, there's service, and then there's sales. And I got to my position, you know, primarily from working in the sales side of the business. But there are also some people in my position that worked in the accounting side of the business and that's worked in the service side of the business. So starting with the big dealer group will give you access to the information you need to determine what's the better path for you. And, you know, as a sidebar, be okay with the process. There's no rush. I got to this point at a relatively young age, but it doesn't it doesn't make it any different than any anybody else getting, you know, their first dealership or getting their first dealerships. It's, it's, this is a, it's a beautiful process. And I think that, you know, enjoying it every step of the way would lead to being a really 
you know, really good leader and, 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 a, and, a, and a great dealer for years to come. So, you know, those are some of the things that I believe that's been part of my journey. I started with the, with the company that I believe is a great company in a lot of ways. And, and, I, and I got a chance to see that, you know, I like to be on the sales side, I like to help people. Um, I'm, I think, you know, by nature, I believe in serving and, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm always going to be a servant, you know, regardless of whether or not I'm in sales or not. So I think that, you know, being in sales and being able to, um, serve and, and, and help people has been a huge part of my passion to get to the point I'm at now. And I think that, you know, anyone coming into the business, they, you know, them finding their passion could be, could be very helpful to them getting to this place also. Right. You know, yesterday we talked a little bit about um, sales and how many of us, you know, like to shy away from it because, of, you know, it makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't want to push ourselves on people. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of there's, there's a, a lot of different narratives around why we shouldn't be in sales. But sales is really one of the I, I think it's in the top three of in, ter- in terms of important factors for your business. And so being a salesperson, right, and feeling it seems like you feel really comfortable in that space, what would you advise people around the importance of sales or as some of the things that they should, you know, keep in keep in mind? Because it doesn't matter what business in, you're in, right? You're always selling, no matter what business you're in. And so what would you recommend to people to consider when they think about selling their businesses or selling themselves? Consider that life is, is, is about presenting yourself. And I think the first sale starts with with yourself. So, you know, convincing you got to convince yourself every day, you know, every step of the way you could want to, you know, transition, you know, your health or your body or, you know, your relationship personally, professionally. And you have to convince yourself to do it. And, you know, sales doesn't have to have a negative connotation. I mean, you know, I think that if someone's in the market to purchase a car or in the market to purchase something you're selling, I think that helping them, giving them a fair deal is is more based on you know the person more so than the industry and i think that the sales industry is 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 a great industry i think that there's a you know some some kind of a stigma in the automotive business that it's you know that it's different than you know other other businesses um but i will say that our job is to help people more than most other most of other businesses we have to service um, transportation that's that's used to transport families, um, transport people back and forth to work. We have we have to know what to recommend and be you know and 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 you know in the know of of the new technology to advise um, accordingly. And I think that we are um, in the business of selling, but you know more importantly, I think that word could be overstated some because most most. Most customers nowadays got a general understanding of what they can afford and what they would like to buy. And, you know, our job is to co- combine the two and represent our company, tra- you know, in a transparent uh, capacity. And I think that to me, that's what sales is, is just being yourself, being transparent and helping people get, you know, get get to a point where they can make a good decision for themselves. So tell us a little bit more about the the used car supercenter. Um, you know how you came up with the idea, how it works, and how it benefits the customer. So we're in the Hampton Roads area, which has an area code of seven five seven. The used car supercenter 
the name of the, the store is 757 Drive. The concept was based on the Costco business model where basically you can go in and, and buy you know products or, or groceries at, at a wholesale value. We share the same philosophy at 757 Drive. You're able to go in and buy hand-selected inventory at a wholesale value and receive the same service you'd normally get at any other car dealership. It's located adjacent to our, our Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram store in between um, that store and our Mitsubishi store. And we've done we've done an incredible job. Our first full month in business, well, 28 days in business, we delivered 47 cars with no advertising. And the average wait time, um, the average transaction time for um, for our deliveries of 47 cars was 27 minutes. So we were able to do a good portion of the transaction online and get the average customer in and out, buying a car, fully detailed, gas, uh, ready to hit the road in, in, in 27 minutes. So last month was was a big success for us. And we're having a good month so far this month also. So these were cars that were bought sight unseen? We purchase cars several different ways. Some cars you do purchase sight unseen. We purchase cars from clients all over uh, the, the the area, even outside of the area. Um, we we will essentially allow you to send us pictures of your car. We'll send out an appraiser if necessary. But we we purchase cars up front with a check in hand. So some of the cars we we were able to purchase from clients that wanted to sell their car. Some of the cars we were able to purchase from, you know, local auctions and auctions throughout the country. So there are several different ways we, you know, we, we acquire inventory and we have a reconditioning center with seven to, to eight inspectors. And they do what's called 128 point multi inspection. So these cars are thoroughly inspected. They're either, you know, purchased locally or from a certified auction and they're priced to sell their price right at wholesale value. And our, our, our operational strategy is to do a line share of the, strat, uh, the, the process online. Or when you come in, if you just saw the car and you, you, know, you didn't visit our website, we have a streamlined process for our in-store shoppers. And our goal is to be able to, to, to do the entire process in 30 minutes or less. And so what was some of the feedback that you received from your customers? Some of, some of our customers are just shocked that it could happen, you know, because a lot of times when you hear advertising, it's just advertising. But we are literally, you know, we, we have internal deals based on getting customers in and out at a reasonable time. And there's incentives to the staff to get customers in and out 30 minutes. So it's not just advertising for us. And 757 Drive, you know, it's, it's part of our community. Um, I think that it gives us an opportunity to do something different um, in our in our business. You know, it gives us an opportunity to offer customers um, that are specifically looking at pre-owned inventory a selection in combination with all of the other uh, pre-owned inventory that we have available. So it gives us just a, you know, a unique opportunity to be able to offer the, the customers in the market for a used car a really uh, swift and efficient shopping experience and a quality product at, at a wholesale price. You said you had come up with this idea a while ago. What made you think it could work? Like what were what what were you seeing in the automotive industry that made you say, you know what, I, I think we need to change things a little differently. And this model, I think, could make customers feel better about their purchases. So when I was a used car manager, the majority 
of the time I spent or the customer spent at the car dealership was negotiating. And customers, you know, either negotiated because they didn't feel like they were getting the best deal or they wanted to just negotiate for the sake of negotiating. And um, I wanted to remove the negotiating aspect from a customer buying a car. A, because if we're giving you our best deal up front, there's no real reason that you need to negotiate because we're going to be more competitive than our than our than our competing dealers. And B, the time that goes into the time and the frustration that goes into negotiate negotiations, a lot of the time it doesn't usually work out for the customer. So, you know, because the, the dealership's got to be there regardless. The person you're negotiating with, they do it all day, they got to be there regardless. You're nego- you know, customers are typically negotiating about one car. So I wanted to remove that from the from the sales process and give the customer a more enjoyable experience, but still give them that low price that they would have been negotiating. So it seems as if you really are connected to your customer and understanding the customer has been the, the strategy that has worked for you, understanding the needs of the customers and then going above and beyond in terms of serving that need. You couldn't have put it better. The customers are everything. So my philosophy is I take if I take really good care of my team, then I can hold them accountable to take really good care of the customer. You know, the customer for us is the centerpiece of our business. And we're all customers, you know, in some shape or form. We're all customers. So we know how we want to be treated. And, you know, we work every day to make the customer experience at all locations um, better than it was the day before. Jared, I know that you're also really passionate about, you know, sharing your journey and creating opportunities for other young black men so that they can they can make a way for themselves and their families. And um, I'd like you to share some of those stories or, or even some of the, the ways that you have been able to support these young men. So, Sonia, we really encourage diversity. We have a program that allows young professionals to come in and enter in entry-level positions, get the training that's necessary uh, for them to qualify for, for career growth opportunity. Some of the great things we do around the store is we train every day and we're accessible. And one of the things that I, I, I you know I push upon my team is to lead with vulnerability. We're vulnerable leaders. We don't want anyone to be afraid of, of making a mistake or asking a question. So you know it's a huge part of our, our, our leadership culture is to lead with vulnerability, not be too big, almighty, too smart, to admit that we've made a mistake. And it's been very helpful. I mean, we have a we have a really young team for the most part, and most of them are from our local community. And we don't, we, I'm not gonna say we only promote from within, but most of our promotions are from within and we prefer to pr- promote from within. So the combination of just being a transparent, transparent management team, a transparent organization, and being very open-minded, I think will allow some some minorities to come in and, and get a full swing at, at, at the best opportunities available. You talk a lot about the, the culture and, and we all know in business that the businesses that succeed are ones that have a strong leadership culture. Uh, and you, you've mentioned pieces of it in our conversation. Can you talk a little bit more, delve a little bit more into what your leadership culture looks like? Yeah, so I would say that we frame our culture around transparency, being able to come to work and, and be ourselves and be able to allow the customers to come into an operation that's that they that they know they're going to get a fair experience, whether it's through service or sales. Also, we're very innovative. Everyone, 
you know, we have meetings twice a week. And one of the responsibilities of, of my management team at our meetings is to bring new ideas to the meeting on ways we can improve, reduce expenses, advertise better. But it's a requirement that each leader uh, come into those meetings with, with an idea that can make us better. So, you know, to frame our culture in words, I would say we're open-minded, transparent, and we lead with vulnerability. What's next for, for you, your business, and um, and even some of the work that you'd like to do in terms of encouraging more minorities into this field? So, Sonia, our goal, our goal is to continue to grow as a company, continue to, you know, press our message, which is improving the customer experience, improving the employee experience. And, you know, as, as, as far as how we can help bring in more young African-Americans or, you know, more minority, uh, more minorities in, in, into the business, I think the more we can continue to push our message and make ourselves available, I think we can do our part. And I also think that, you know, with your help and and other um, and other outlets covering some of the success that we're having, and other minority dealer uh, dealer groups are having. I think that that will help bring in more more minority uh, more minority dealer applicants. Well, I want to thank you for uh, sharing your time with us and your expertise. Uh, for people who want to follow you, support you, um, shop with you, how can they find you? So my social media page, Facebook, and I'm not a big social media person myself, but I'm Jared Carver on Facebook, and that's J-A-R-R-Y-D, as in David, Carver, C-A-R-V-E-R. That's Facebook. Same for Instagram, same for Twitter, same for everything else. (laughs) I'm Jared Carver on everything. Okay. All right. And your business is located where? My businesses are in Hampton, Hampton, Virginia. Um, we, we, We literally have about six miles and on that in that six to seven mile radius is all of our dealerships. We have okay. all of our stores on in Hampton, Virginia on Mercury Boulevard. So if you're you know if you're in the Virginia Beach area or if anyone's in the Virginia Beach area and they want to stop by to say hi or look at look at vehicles, we are right on right on Mercury Boulevard in Hampton, Virginia. And for people who are interested in purchasing a dealership, NAMAD, N-A-M-A-D, is the supportive uh, industry group to do that, right, for, for minority auto dealers. I think NAMAD's a great resource. If you're interested in becoming a dealer, I think NAMAD's a great resource. I think they're it's a great organization to, to uh, consider joining, and I think that they could certainly offer um, offer some help for sure. Thank you so much, Jared. We wish you wish you much success and we look forward to covering your successes and upcoming dealerships and, and business enterprises. Thanks for having me. Take care. The Business First Podcast is hosted and produced by Sonia Lee. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on social at business underscore first underscore podcast on IG. The Business First Podcast is a mean old line media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.